Howdy, riders. Welcome to my final episode where somebody was actually in my car before COVID broke. Um, so next week, I'm not sure what we're going to do. I'm, I'm hoping to maybe talk to some winemakers remotely, but, uh, but tune in and see where that goes. But for now, I had an amazing guest in the car with me who is Nicola Lynchy, who is uh, the owner of Fattoria di Maliano, which is in Marema, which is in Tuscany, which we'll hear all about. He was a fantastic, fun guy to have in the car. The wines were absolutely delicious. Uh, so check it out. So if you're ready, buckle up. Let's ride. The world we live in is an amazing one, full of passion, wonderment, and of course, fine wine. This is the story of one man's journey to fully understand and appreciate that world. So kick the tires and light the fires. It's time to ride between the wines. It's Burgundian in style. Just a whisper of cherry. Very nice legs. This is so perfectly balanced. Such an old world style. Is this laced with tobacco? A total fruit bomb. I say, say, Ponzi! <laughs> We are recording. So welcome back to Ride Between the Wines. Very special guests with me today. Two very special guests with me today. This is the first time I've had three in the car, I think. Uh, so in the back we have Jeffrey Wintang from Opichi Wines. Uh, and if you um, watched uh, Stefano Francini's episode, which was a couple episodes back by the time this comes out, um, he, he went over quite a few of the different Italian wines that Opichi brings to us. Um, but I don't think we talked a lot about this wine, luckily, because we knew you were coming. Uh, so that's Jeff in the back, and he's the one who brought me Nicola Lynchy, who is Hi from guys. Pretoria di uh, Maliano, exactly. which is in Marema in Tuscany. So with that, I probably should have turned on the recorder after I actually backed up. But uh, I'm just gonna get you started by telling us who you are, who your family is, how you got here, and why you guys are making wine. Absolutely. So first of all, thank you for giving me the chance. I'm honored to be with, with the wine guys. Well, so. I'm, honored, <laughs> I'm honored to have you. Thank you. So. My name is Nicola, I am part of the family ownership of Fattoria di Magliano, that sounds very professional, but it's like me and my father, okay? So as you mentioned, we are southern in Tuscany, in the region of Maremma Toscana, but before getting into the geographical and characteristical uh, of, of the terroir, I would like to tell you, as you ask, a little bit of story Please. from us. So, the region is pretty young about winemaking, as my family is pretty young into the wine business. Mm -hmm. So, my father, for all of his life, he was a shoemaker, a shoe designer. So, when he was 22 years old, he established his own shoe business, his own industry. And for 25 years, he was running the industries and selling shoes all around the world. So, what's happened? He was a world traveler for pushing the sales and mm -hmm. for representing the, the brand. So actually, when you travel more than 200 days per year, what's the best way to be indulgent with yourself? It's a good call. Having good bottle of wines, good, good. experience very good restaurants. So that's how he became a foodie and especially a wine lover. Okay. And especially, he was so charmed about the French wines which sounds weird for an Italian, right? that's a real, real start-up for him. So for him, the best wine in the world are Bourgogne, for instance. 
especially because he's not only a wine geek, but he's a wine drinker. Mm -hmm. So he likes finesse into the wine. So after all this traveling and experience these wines, he had some interest into becoming sommelier for fun. Uh -huh. He'd been uh, graduated as a sommelier, and then he started to think, hmm, that could be, you know, wine business, that could be something I would love to do in my life. But he was so busy with the, with the industry because he was running a, a factory with more than 220 uh -huh. employers. So you can imagine that not so much free time for him at that, at that I'm point. sure. What happened is that in 1996, he had the opportunity to sell the industry to a big corporation from UK and China. Uh -huh. That was a perfect timing. Because I have to say that after the 90 decade, decades, uh -huh. all the business were crashed down a little bit. So he had great timing. He had a great time. Timing is very important in life. Oh, sure. Say. Yeah. That's why I consider him a businessman. So in 1996, he accepted the offer and luckily he gained a lot of money. And probably he had a bad idea to jump into the wine business. <laughs> you know, in Italy we always say that there is a way to become a millionaire in the wine business. You start as a billionaire and suddenly... <laughs> you work your way there. <laughs> exactly. So what's happened that my father started to travel Tuscany to find the right place to establish what he would love to do. Mm -hmm. Because as you can imagine, all the appellations were very full of producer, mm -hmm. the Brunello area, Chianti Classico area, very charming but very competitive in terms of producer and very pricey in terms of buying land. And especially the land that were available, they were not really in the hot spot of those appellations. Right. You know? mm -hmm. So that's how we came down in Maremma. Because Maremma coastline was even more undiscovered than it is right now. Uh, but they thought that Maremma was the right place where it could transmit the technique and the finesse of the French, of the French winemaker into the Tuscan style. So let's say, try to develop a new style of Tuscan winemaking following um, the elegance and um, and uh, inspiration of the French winemaker. So at that time, my father has very good connection in terms of uh, winemakers. So he was in touch with Giacomo Takis. Oh wow! Are you familiar with the guy? I am. Yeah. Good. So Giacomo, for the ones who are not familiar, we can say is one of the most historical winemaker in yeah. uh, since the eighties in Italy. No? He was the creator of the Super Tasca style, to be simple. But he created a lot of very uh, well-known brands, like, I don't know if I can mention some brands. You can say, go ahead. Uh, okay, so like uh, Arjolas, he, he created Turiga. Okay. Uh, or he was very famous in Friuli or in Sicily. So, let's say, a very well-known winemaker, a rising, not a rising star, but an established star. So at the time, my father and him, they were sharing passion in watch collecting. So mm -hmm. Something a part of wine business. Right. But he was able to ask to Giacomo to come down in Maremma and give some tip. What That's kind of tip? great. Yeah, it's not bad. It's not a bad <laughs> That's start. That's not a bad start, yeah. 
Yeah, so my Giacomo came down and he started to give some advice to my father, like where you can plant these grapes, what kind of grapes you can plant over there and over there. Because he knows that my father was wondering to do like different style of wine mm -hmm. and especially focus on also on French grapes because at that time French grapes on the coastline of Tuscany were already famous especially in Bulgari area uh -huh. uh, oh, yeah. famous super Tuscan style so he wanted to do something similar but different in the same way unique and Giacomo for sure was the right man to ask for for advice so I came down, I give the tips, and at the end of the day, my father asked to him, Giacomo, please, would you like to become my, my winemaker? And obviously he says no. Right, I was just going to say. <laughs> <laughs> so Giacomo was already, I'm not going to say old, but, you know, mature mm -hmm. and very, very busy and famous. Yeah. So he said, I don't have time, uh, probably... I'm gonna cost you a fortune. <laughs> uh, I would like to taste probably your wines once in a while and give you some advice. Right. But the best advice I can give is to pick up some of my students that need to be introduced into mm -hmm. the wine business. So there was a, li a short list of students, and you know the legend that my father always told me is this: the list was made by five people. Four guy and one lady. So, guess which one my father picked up? I like your father. Yeah, yes, you gotta meet him. <laughs> Maybe once in the future, hopefully very soon. When I stay at that guest house, I'm talking about. You are more than invited to come. So, that's how we get in touch with uh, Graziana Grassini. Mm -hmm. So, at that time, Graziana was very unknown because she was. I mean, she's still young, but she was a girl, mm -hmm. uh, and she was involved into. She has a, labo a chemical laboratory of analysis. Okay. So that's how we start to get in touch with the wine business, analyze the wines for the producer. Right. Producer. So since 2001, which is our very first vintage ever produced, we've been cooperating with Graziana. So to me, it's a proud to say that. We hopefully gonna celebrate our 20th anniversary this year, this vintage, with her, which is great in the wine business to be so stable with a winemaker consultant. Yeah. Because it really transmits uh, the identity to the wine. And being a young winery, we grown up as a winery as she grown up as a winemaker. So we have a very uh, solid relationship. That's great. Uh, she's taking part of the process, every single process of our winemaking. She also considers herself uh, fairly part of the family. Mm -hmm. So that's what makes the difference because now she's very well known in Italy, very much well known. Yeah. So she's consulting for a much bigger company, a bigger brand than we are, but she's still very, very close to the family and to the project. She considered Fattoria di Magliano her baby project, you know? Yeah. And now he's grown up and he's becoming a beautiful man, probably. Well, I love Not that. like us, but yeah. like well, someone that, that else. that takes a lot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, that's how we started to, to work with Graziana. And Graziana 
is a blessed for us because she's living only 45 minutes away from our winery which does mean it's a real winemaker she's not just coming in and out once in a year right you know it's not it's not a VIP winemaker in that sense so I like her because she's very down to the earth but she's very knowledgeable I met her when I was probably 15 16 so she considered myself a baby for her as well so that that's how we started with her well that is a perfect time for us to, to finish up for our first segment <laughs> don't go away we'll be right back all right, we are back in the car for a quick segment, and then we're going to grab a little pronzo because I am hungry. Um, but I was hoping in the space on the way over there, you could just talk about Morlina Descansanso, um, DOCG, and, and what that is. Yes, for sure. So the Morellino Descansano, as you just mentioned, is a DOCG. So for everyone who doesn't know what does it mean, uh, DOCG is a certification by the government about a certain grapes growing in a limited area and taste typical. So the Morellino di Scanzano has established as a DOCG, one of the newest in Tuscany in 2008. One of the newest. One of the newest, <laughs> actually, yes. So we are the new kids on the block, I would like to say. Uh -huh. So the Morellino has never been 100% of Sangiovese, but actually, and it's a, it's a blend. So it has to be based on 85% of Sangiovese grape and then there is a selection of several different grapes that you can pick. Actually, personally, we do a 95% of Sangiovese and that will bend the Syrah. Mm -hmm. But talking about the Morellino, generally speaking, the Morellino is a very unique style of a, a traditional appellation. Why? Because when we refer to the DOCG in Tuscany, we always think about Vino Nobile, Brunello, Chianti Classico. So, big guys, big mm -hmm. wines. I mean, important wines for special occasion. The Morellino di Scanzano instead is a, an approachable style of wine that is made to be drink every day, as we like to do in Maremma. So, the Morellino di Scanzano as a characteristic, it should be like a red wine from the coast. And the Morellino di Scanzano is very related to the everyday life of the people. Why? Because originally the Maremma, in between, I mean, until the, the time in between the, the First and the Second World War, Maremma area was swampy. Okay. So the workers who was working in the fields, they were so friendly with the wine because the wine was the most healthy drink. Oh, to drink okay. every day. Okay. You know, we had the m most recent cases of malaria in Maremma at that time in uh -huh. Italy. So even the territory, it's very interesting because all the villages are built on top of the hills because during the summertime, people working and living on the coastal area were moving on the top of the hills to get away from the malaria. Okay. So the Morellino originally was the wine that the people were drinking every day. So that's why we intend, we intend the Morellino as an everyday wine consumed. So it has to be fruity, approachable, and fresh. And, so, and is that the case with yours? That's especially the case of mine. Okay. Especially we are trying to be inspired by this historical heritage of the Morellino. Uh -huh. We never produced a Reserva, for instance, because we are able to produce structured wine as well, but we don't call it Morellino. Mm -hmm. For us, it's 
very respectful to our history to produce a Morellino which is following the heritage of, of the terroir. That's how we call terroir, no? It's not only about the soil, but all about the culture, uh -huh. the macroclimate, and the consumer of the wines. And the name Morellino, it took the name from the originally, the original, sorry, uh, race of horses that we oh. have in Maremma. Okay. So Maremma was considered the wild west of, of Tuscany. It's a frontier land. So horses were used in many occasions and especially also to work in the fields to ship the grapes to the cellar as well. And the, originally, and the original race of uh, horse called Morellino has a very dark hair. Mm -hmm. So that reminds the, the dark skin of the Sangiovese which is get a little burned by the sun during the ripeness. Huh. That's why it's related the color between the grape and the horse hair. Is, is Maremma where spaghetti westerns were Bravissimo. done? Were exactly. they? Okay, that's, that's interesting. That's why we are considered the wild west of Tuscany. We have the butteri. Interesting. Butteri were the, 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 how do you say? The cowboys. The cowboys. The okay. cowboys. So the territory is very spread out. Mm -hmm. A lot of farming and a lot of, you know, cows and sheep, goats. So, yeah. yeah. That's neat. <laughs> That's very unique. That's and, very unique. Well, we're, I think we're going to pull over and we'll probably continue later, but I don't know that you said the name of yours yet. The name of your actual Morellino, your, your bottle. Uh, my bottle, yeah. yeah. My, my <laughs> I feel bottle, like we should say that. <laughs> yeah, my bottle is called Eba. So Eba is the name of the label. And actually, the little story behind the Eba is that Magliano, which is our village, was a settlement of the Etruscan population. So okay. the ancient name during the Etruscan time of Magliano was Heba. And as well <coughs> on the label is showing the an excavation found in the ancient site of Heba showing an Etruscan goddess. I always say that we like to transmit to our customers the winemaking philosophy of our estate through the label. So we like to be inspired by our history but then we try to show it in a modern way as we try to do with our winemaking philosophy. Well, Makes sense? Yeah, and I love the bottle, the label. I think it, it definitely expresses Thank that. You. It's very cool. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks so much. All right, well, we're going to pull over and grab some lunch, and we'll be right back. All right, we're back in. We've now eaten. We are ready to move on. All right, so what I would love to talk about, all of your labels, very cool, different wines, very interesting names that I'm struggling to pronounce. Uh, you think you could just kind of go through just the wines that are in the bag? We talked about the Aba already. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, uh, but what else do we have in the bag? And, and maybe where do the names come from, background of the wines? Absolutely. So Aba, obviously, it's our flagship wine. It's the half of our total production. And we are talking about the total production of 22,000 cases. So it's teeny. Yeah. It's tiny, yes. It's tiny and it's focused on, on quality rather than being on quantity. So Heba, uh, together with the Pagliatura, which is our Vermentino, mm -hmm. they are our, you know, uh, flagship, the wines that are vehicle our name on the market. So Pagliatura actually took the names from Paglia. Paglia means hay, you know, the, the straw, the yellow herbs. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. hay. Hay, gotcha. that's my Italian pronunciation. Yeah, it's perfect. Sorry. <laughs> so, because during the summertime, it's so warm that everything looks like yellow in our surroundings, in the, on the hills. 
that reminds you the golden color of the wine of, of the Vermentino. Uh-huh. Then uh, today we have also the Capato. Capato, it's our Sangiovese, let's say table wine style, our everyday style of Sangiovese, very approachable. So Capato means the chosen one. So it okay. means like we choose the grape to dedicate to to this single label. Okay. That's why there is a little bullseye, a bullseye on the label. On the label, okay. Yeah. Then we had Sinarra, that sounds like Sinatra, but without the T. That's what I thought all day. <laughs> Uh, which I don't mind because I, I love Mickey Blue. I, I, lo I love that. I love that, sing that singer. But mm -hmm. Sinarra, if you split the word, means the storyteller. As we tell the story of our Sangiovese. So that's why we want to tell the story of the Sangiovese thanks to the Sinarra, which is a very interesting style of Sangiovese, very pure into the expression of the varietal. And on the front label, we do have an inscription showing the Etruscan alphabet. So I was wondering what that was. <laughs> okay. Again, very related with our history, and it's showing a little artsy, mm -hmm. I would say, on the label. Then what we do have? We do have the Perenzo. Mm -hmm. So Perenzo is our Syrah 100%, which is a, it's showing a family-related history because Perenzo literally means for Enzo. So it's a dedication to Enzo. Enzo was my grandfather, so the father of my father. Mm -hmm. Great, great cellar lover. So we thought that we should dedicate the label to him. And on the label there is a little tear of the family for the departing of the grandfather. Very blue tear, we drank a lot of Syrah in his memory. I like that. Then we do have the Poggio Bestiale. So Poggio Bestiale, again, is one of our most identitary wine, let's say one of the columns of our production. Poggio Bestiale literally means the hillside of the beast. Okay. Not only just because it's a beast of a wine, but also because that was the original name of, of the hill where we planted the grapes for, for the Poggio Bestiale. So when we bought the land, was owned by a Sardinian family. Used to ship animals in the fields, goat, sheep, and being in the middle of nowhere, infested by wild boar in the nighttime. So the people of the village already called that hill the hillside of the beast. That makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah. And in Italiano, bestiale, it's like a very nice adjective. Like you are bestiale, you are a beast in a good way. In a good way. You're... Yeah, overpowered, super duper nice and strong. I think that means that in English too. Say somebody's a beast. I hope so. I take it as a, <laughs> I take it as a compliment. We do, especially in Maremma. We are wild boars. <laughs> <laughs> so which which of your wines pairs the best with wild boar? Obviously a bunch of bestiale. Just, yeah, just making sure. <laughs> <laughs> that's the kind of wine that we started and we created for that kind of match, but it's good. it goes very well with all the gamey fruit, venison, mm -hmm. but even here in the south, it can match with ribs, barbecue, you know. And then we have the newest project of our estate, which is Altizzi. Okay. Our Cabernet Franc, 100%. So Altizzi is another wine that take the inspiration for the label from the Etruscan heritage. So on the front label, you get a medallion. Mm-hmm that was founded in our village in the 1800s 
and the historicals started to translate the Etruscan alphabet thanks to that medallion. That's cool. So I will say that with that wine you can start to be familiar with the, where, the Fattoria di Magliano wines. Where, where is the medallion? It's actually in a museum. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, but, but I'm not in, in Marema or yeah, yeah, in Marema. Yeah, yeah. So it's kind of like the Rosetta Stone. Eh, bravissimo, yeah. exactly, yeah. exactly. Cool. It's a startup, you know, for the understanding of the Etruscan culture. I love it. And tell me about the Cab Franc. Well, the Cabernet Franc that we are producing is exactly the same Cabernet Franc that we are using for the Poggio Bestiale since the beginning. Mm -hmm. uh, with the Poggio Bestiale, we do a blend in between the low Cabernet Franc, Cabernet Sauvignon, and a little percentage of Petit Verdot to complete the blend. Mm -hmm. And But we vinify the grapes always separately. So that's the way that we can do the blend every year. But that's the way that allowed us to try single barrels. So vintage by vintage, tasting the Cabernet Franc, we thought it was really unique. I mean, at least unique, very interesting. So we did some investments. And finally, in 2015, we released our very first vintage. And when I said investment, I'm talking about 6,000 bottles per year. <laughs> well, per year, this is the first year, so we'll see in the future. And it's a Cabernet Franc very unique, uh, showing the modernity of Marema because it's so food forward, um, great mouthfeel, not vegetal at all. It's not vegetal at all. It's it's very nice. Yeah. Very much into the herbal notes. Yes. The fruit and herbs uh, in our coastline that are growing widely, uh, thyme, rosemary, mm -hmm. oregano. So I think this is a great mark in the in the lineup of our. Well, we're here, but all those wines are delicious, and we'll probably talk a little bit more on them later. Thank you. Ciao. <laughs> all right, let's let's finish up. All right, so uh, we're back in the car with probably our final segment. Um, so uh, we've talked about all of your wines. Uh, one thing I think that we didn't touch on enough that I'd kind of like to hear a little bit more about is Marema. We keep talking about Marema as Southern Tuscany, but geographically where is it a little bit more about um, the land maybe the culture there absolutely uh, so what's what's about Marema what makes Marema special probably first of all the geographic uh, location because if you think about Tuscany we are sited in the deepest southern corner of the region okay so let's say we are more nearby Rome rather being near to Florence you are, you are closer to Rome than you are to Florence. Exactly. So let's say only one hour, 45 minutes northern than Fiumicino Airport. So what does it mean? It means that we are southern than Chianti area, more mm -hmm. than 225 miles. I had no idea you were that far. <laughs> so <laughs> that makes us very different, uh -huh. totally different microclimate, different latitude. And obviously we are sighted on hillside as you can imagine Tuscany is made by mm -hmm. but those hills are descending to the coast so in between us and the coast there is maybe 20 miles without anything in the middle so the exposure 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 mm -hmm, to the coast it's really remarkable so let's say we do have the structure in our soil but we also have the freshness typical from a Mediterranean climate. 
So that makes us able to express wine with structure, but a structure driven by the minerality. And especially thanks to the warm climate during the springtime and a very few rainfalls during the autumn, okay. we can reach a beautiful ripeness. So even the Sangiovese are really fruit driven. That's also why we don't use any oak in the aging of our Sangiovese. We just use it. Cement. Up, I exactly. Right. Okay. Just cement to keep those guys crisp, fruity. So we want to point out how much Maremma can be not better, not worse, but different from the other appellation of Tuscany. So I always say that we can consider Maremma as a bridge, mm -hmm. let's say, in between old world and new world. Okay. So great fruit approach, wine they can even be drinked by themselves, but in the same time very versatile in terms of matching. So that's why I think that Maremma could be a first step in the door for the people who wants to be more familiar with Toscana mm -hmm. without hitting directly the most old school, you know, style of wines. How, how far is Maremma from Bulgaria? We are south of the Bulgaria, let's say one hour and a half by drive uh -huh. and it's very different kind of soil. Um, our soil is very marked by big white rocks with fossil origin. Mm -hmm. So I think that's the key to express the mineral profile of our wines. And that's also why the region is known to be vocated for international grapes, mm -hmm. let's say. What? As you know, we do. Yeah, somehow. obviously, yeah. Uh, tell, tell me this, what's uh, the, the food of Marema? Well, any, yeah, I'm sure yeah. it's all over the place. But. <laughs> <laughs> so the food of Maremma is very interesting because the land, as I mentioned before, is very rural mm -hmm. and frontier land. So everyone over there are hunters. Okay. So everything is very much related into hunting. Well, for instance, I'm coming from Lucca, which is originally <coughs> my hometown on the northern part of Tuscany. Mm -hmm. So I'm not a hunter. I eat everything, so right. I'm almost accepted <laughs> over there. But without being a hunter, I'm considered like a half man, let's say. <laughs> but we do a lot of wild boar, okay. deer, and venison generally, uh, lamb. So even if we are so close rabbit. to the coast, rabbit, rabbit. Yeah, also known as the Tuscan chicken, <laughs> but faster. So even if we are so close to the coast, the culture is very related. Not a lot of seafood. No, no. You can have good seafood only if you are right on, on the coast, um, like literally on the, on the seaside. Uh, so yes, it's a very interesting area for foodies, I would say. Uh, and people over there are really enjoying also cheese. Cheese is a big thing over there. A lot of land, uh -huh. so people are related with sheep, goats. So cheese production is very huge. Uh, all over the styles, hard cheese, soft cheese, everything. Especially ricotta, fresh ricotta and pecorino. Those are the most typical ones. Which okay. are, in my opinion, they match very well with the wines that we <coughs> produce. Oh yeah, pecorino is perfect, yeah. yeah. With reds especially. Well, uh, well, we are very close to your hotel here. In the last 30 seconds, is there 
I know you probably a lot we haven't mentioned. Is there anything uh, about your family or the winery or anything that we could tag on? Then let's say I want to point out how much the Fattoria di Magliano is uh, based on the passion of what we do. So I would like to say that before being wine producer, we are wine drinkers. And that's how we jumped into the wine business. Being a wine drinker is very important for us. That's why we always try to produce wines which are marked by drinkability. So from since the, the, the easier one, mm -hmm. the entry-level one, until the big guy, the spot for us is always to make the customers being able to ops up the cork and to finish the bottle, which is a good lifestyle. Right. right. <laughs> so you're saying no leftover wine. Yes. Yeah, leftover wine doesn't exist in this family, and I'm getting no, that quick. Exactly. Yes. So, uh, and you know, just would like to mention that we have also a very nice guest house. So that's where I'm going to be staying exactly. next summer. Exactly. You are my new ambassador. Tell, tell me about your guest house. We do have 11 rooms and three apartments. And it's literally a terrace overlooking the coast. So oh, you can lay on the patio having a nice glass of Vermentino. And especially we have also a nice pool in the middle of the vineyard, so it's not yeah, a bad well, place well, to be. Well, Vermentino in a pool seems like a perfect... Uh, yeah, good match, right? Yeah, it's a good match right there. <laughs> Made in Cielo. <laughs> so, well, um, thank you very much. Thank um, you, so Mr. Wine you Guy. Yes, sir. And, uh, yeah, until next summer when I see you in your pool. Great pleasure to meet you. And thank you, Jeff. I, you, you didn't say much, but thank no, you for I'm... arranging this. <laughs> <laughs> And there you have it, the last episode that I had filmed. Uh, next week we're going to do something a little bit different, uh, hoping to speak with a winemaker virtually, but but I'll uh, just just keep an eye out for it to see what happens. Uh, I'm not sure how technology will uh, will play with me for that one. Um, if you enjoy this podcast, uh, please tell your friends, like it, subscribe, share it, write good reviews, etc., etc. If you're only listening to this and you're interested, it is now on YouTube, so you can actually see the podcast uh, on YouTube, just ride between the wines on YouTube. Uh, all of the ones labeled as season two will be the ones that are in video, which is, I think this is episode 10 of it. Uh, other than that, I uh, look forward to seeing you next week. Stay safe out there. Until then, chin chin. Chin!